This is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 263 of the Bugle audio newspaper for a visual world with me, Andy Zaltzman, back from India in London, the city where stuff happens on an almost daily basis, and in New York City, New York, uh, it's the human drill bits drilling holes in the wall of lies and fearlessly erecting these shelving units of truth. It's John Oliver. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Well, and welcome back. Thanks, mate. From India. Thank you. Welcome back. Where apparently, I believe, you did a gig in front of Sachin Tendulkar. Now, for those of you who don't know, he's one of the greatest cricketers who's ever swung a bat around at a red round thing. It's like doing jokes in front of Michael Jordan. It's like doing puns in front of Pele. It's a lot of pressure, Andy. Now, did little Sachin laugh? He he did laugh, John. Yes, I mean th- I mean that wasn't necessarily shared by the entire audience, but um, Does, doesn't matter. When you're doing right. a gig with Sachin Tendulkar, you're listening for one laugh, <laughs> and it's his. It was, as you say, quite an odd odd gig. I was doing a couple of stand-up routines in the uh, uh, ESPN Crick Info annual awards ceremony, and um, I had to do a routine about Sachin Tendulkar while standing about five yards away from Sachin Tendulkar and <laughs> Mrs. Tendulkar, uh, which is. Which is, I mean, it's quite odd doing comedy about someone when they're actually there, unless, yeah. of course, you're a very amusing lawyer uh, in court. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, um, and also, he was he was picking up an award, basically, for being Sachin Tendulkar, so he was kind of the guest yeah. guest of honour. And also, I mean, you have to be a bit careful what you say about Sachin in in India. He's, he is sort of rightly revered there, and saying anything even mildly critical, uh, <laughs> it's basically like standing up in America and shouting, George Washington, what a c- <laughs> seeing what comes your way, he, so it was um, it was odd, yes. But uh, he he laughed, I would say sufficiently, yes. And that is all you're looking for in any gig: That's sufficient right. laughter. Yeah. He you, you basically want people walking away from your gigs, going, "Did you enjoy that? It was sufficient, <laughs> an elegant sufficient sufficiency." That's what you're looking for. You don't want people to over laugh, leave no, feeling that's bloated. The, that's the worst <laughs> thing that could happen. So this is uh, Bugle uh, 263 for the week beginning Monday, the 24th of March, 2014, which is, uh, to the day, the 20,000th anniversary of a caveman called Uthig getting drunk on fermented berries and killing himself in a high-speed mammoth crash. As always, a section, uh, some sections of the Bugle going straight in the bin. This week, a free splat of mud, a teach-yourself-to-shout supplement, and also uh, an appeal for sport relief. It is Sport Relief Day today here in Britain. John and uh, it's very important, uh, uh, very a charity close to our hearts, raising money to help those whose lives are ruined by an excessive interest in sports. It's going to affect their relationships, their jobs, their career prospects, leaving many sufferers almost unable and certainly unwilling to interact with any form of reality. This really is, of course, both John and I really need a cure to be found for. It's too late for us, but there's still some hope for my children and John's dog. So please give generously. <laughs> Top story this week, Crimea identity crisis. And look, it's a confusing time to be a Crimean, Andy. They understandably don't really know 
who they are deep down right now. Are they Ukrainian? Are they Russian? Are they independently Crimean? Are they somehow Belgian? I mean, holy <laughs> shit, Andy. Have they gone through this and through some clumsily misfiled paperwork they're inexplicably ending up Belgian? I guess anything's possible at that point, but that would be terrible. Um... When we last bugled, uh, tensions between the US and Russia were like a fiery six-layer burrito. They were uncomfortably spicy. But uh, <laughs> thankfully, what seemed to be heading towards a Cold War II has instead ended up being limited to passive-aggressive pettiness. <laughs> and as for Ukraine, things are still unresolved. Now, the people of Crimea uh, went to the polls this week to take part in a referendum which the entire international community refused to recognise and which Russia regarded as completely legitimate. <laughs> uh, it became clear that the only function of the referendum was really going to be purely symbolic, and that symbol was likely to be a giant middle finger in the colours of the Russian flag pointed firmly in the direction of Kiev. Uh, in the end, the results of the referendum were a massive 97% of people voted for independence. A number you could only really describe as suspiciously high. <laughs> yeah, I did some research into this, John. That is a higher percentage than the percentage of Dutch men who enjoy sex, according to an official <laughs> Dutch government investigation. <laughs> Nothing can be that popular. Surely. <laughs> no, thing, no single thing can be that popular. Yeah, that's the problem. Putin has really overstepped with this, because if you're going to stage a sham referendum, you still have to obey the basic rules of cheating. There is still honour among thieves. You can't have anything now. No one's going to believe 97%. It's undeniably true that Crimea is largely ethnically Russian and a majority of the population would like to be part of Russia. But not 97%, Andy. That's a higher approval rate than ice cream. And everyone... He loves ice cream. <laughs> That's a higher approval rate than Dutch men having sex whilst eating an ice cream. And that, that is over 100%. <laughs> And you might think that's not mathematically possible. Go to Holland, <laughs> step off a train, the first thing you'll see is a Dutch man having sex with a bowl of ice cream <laughs> with a look on his face of pure happiness, the level of which you don't recognise. <laughs> the point is... Numbers don't apply on that in that particular situation. There is a genuine sense of turbulence in the air uh, around uh, Crimea. Literally, in fact, my flight back from India went over the Black Sea on oh, Tuesday, really? and there was literal turbulence. It was like okay. being inside the stomach of a 1980s trade unionist with a fetish for bouffant-haired, powerful blonde women, catching a glimpse of Margaret Thatcher coming out of the shower naked as an egg, singing, I'm going to close that mine to the tune of Blue Moon. Proper churn, John. It was a proper churn. Specific reference, Andy. <laughs> Very specific. <laughs> the vote uh, itself was rigged before a single ballot was cast, simply by what was on the ballot itself, because there was no real no option for this vote. There were, there were two choices, and they were, one, do you want to be part of Russia, or two, do you want to be independent with links to Ukraine? And the problem with that last option is that the Crimean parliament had already said that its first act of independence, should it become independent, was to immediately declare Crimea as part of Russia. So the choice essentially was, do you want to join Russia now, or would you like to join Russia later, with a potential follow-up option, or of, uh, or would you really prefer to go f*** yourself? And pick any one of those three, you are free to, isn't democracy fun? <laughs> Russia was also quick to point out that there were uh, international observers 
of the referendum there, international election observers, although it's uh, worth pointing out that while, yes, technically, that is true, all of those international observers were in fact Russian. And (laughs) much of the observation they were observing was done through the the scope of a Kalashnikov rifle. (laughs) It was basically a lot of uh, very Russian-dressed soldiers saying, oh, please, please, do not uh, panic. I'm not pointing gun at you. It's just better to watch the majesty of the democratic process through the sight of this rifle. (laughs) Also, please, do not be alarmed if I celebrate you exercising your majestic right to vote by firing a celebratory round just over your head. Just over... (laughs) Uh, at the end of all this, democracy has been left standing in the middle, looking rather confused and a little distraught. Um, and it, it's been a tough time for democracy in this whole dispute. Because the uh, you, it all started with the Ukrainian president Viktor Yanukovych being overthrown. He was the democratically elected uh, who was um, formerly in charge of Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, but you know, a, but a democratically elected yeah. John, albeit that he was democratically elected and not exactly the most taint-free bit of democracy that we've ever seen and he was ousted by a mixture of different groups some pro-western hooray and strum some strongly nationalistic boo history shows that when you have a cocktail of boos and hoorays foreign policy gets complicated and often ends up with an ooh. i hope i've explained that in accessible terms it's, it's, it's a tricky situation. that The non-Russian members of the international community are reacting by largely not recognising uh, the referendum, which is another way of saying they're desperately ignoring it and pretending that it didn't happen, <laughs> uh, and are also arguing over what kind of sanctions to inflict on Russia. Now, in the US, there was much talk of strong sanctions, Andy. Strong, strong sanctions. And when they came down, they seemed to have all the strength of an anemic kitten with low muscle mass. Because <laughs> it, it turned out... That the first batch of sanctions were targeted at a list of seven Russian officials and four Crimean officials. So 11 people <laughs> in total, Andy. That's not a powerful demonstration of international consensus towards punishment. That's a football team. <laughs> and to make the list even worse, of those seven Russian officials, Vladimir Putin's name was not among them. So I can only assume that this entire annexation of the Crimea is happening without his knowledge, Andy. Maybe it's going to be a surprise 60-second birthday present for the man. <laughs> Vladimir, surprise! We we know that you've had your eye on a largely pointless peninsula for a while now. This is perfect for you. I hope you enjoy it, and if you don't, it doesn't matter. It's uh, largely <laughs> symbolic. Uh, France have been equally strong. They've said they may possibly cancel a contract for building two warships for Russia. May. Wow. I mean, that's... Wow. Uh, John John Kerry, of course, had... I mean, he's been as good as his word, John. He said there will be a response of some kind. And, okay. you know, but the, these sanctions on 11 people, that's, that's some kind. There have been travel bans, John, on uh, mm-hmm. various prominent Russians. And no doubt it's very disappointing if you're a multi-billion ruble Russian oligarch uh, if you no longer have the option of taking your a- annual caravanning holiday in Bognor Regis on the south coast of Britain, that has to sting like a sunburnt gherkin, John. These are strong <laughs> sanctions, John. Well, also, the, the Russians on the American sanctions list seem strangely completely unconcerned with the <laughs> crippling measures that they're under. A number of them have pointed out that having US assets frozen was not likely to affect them due to the fact that they didn't have any US assets. <laughs> uh, one man in particular, Vladislav Surkov, a uh, top Putin supporter, actually sounded thrilled about being on the list, saying, it's a big honour for me. 
I don't have accounts abroad. The only things that interest me in the US are, and this is an exact quote, Tupac Shakur, Allen Ginsberg and Jackson Pollock. I don't need a visa to access their work. I lose nothing. Now, I will say, that's a pretty broad range of cultural references right there. The poetry of Ginsberg, the painting of Pollock, and the raptacular rhymes of Tupac. If you like all three of those, you essentially like the entire spectrum of American culture. But Russia announced that they would retaliate in kind, with the foreign ministry denouncing American sanctions as a tool from the arsenal of the past, uh, saying that they would backfire, and the statement continuing saying, uh, there should be no doubt for every hostile attack, we will respond appropriately. And fire back they did, Andy, by... Yes, you've guessed it. Putting sanctions on 11 American figures, <laughs> including John McCain and Majority Whip Dick Durbin, who presumably is about to release a statement saying, It's a bit of an honour for me. I don't have accounts abroad. The only things that interest me in Russia are Strav- Stravinsky, Maria Sharapova and Yakov Smirnov. I don't need a visa to access their work. I lose nothing. Durbin out. <laughs> This is good. And we've yep. come a long way from the Cuban Missile Crisis, Andy. <laughs> mutually assured destruction has been replaced with mutually assured bitchiness. Just <laughs> crotchety old men sniping at each other. Uh, the international community have uh, clubbed together to help uh, help Ukraine. The EU has uh, signed um, the association deal with the Ukraine, which uh, was why this whole kind of domino topple began uh, a few months ago. Uh, and also, various international nations have said that they'll compensate Ukraine for the loss of its Crimean territory by donating slivers of land from their own countries to the Ukraine. The UK is offering the north north coast of Norfolk, including the holiday resort of Cromer, whilst Spain has offered Portugal. And uh, the USA <laughs> is rumoured to be considering uh, considering offering Miami. So uh, there you go. It's okay. a win-win situation for everyone. Uh, Putin's argument for the annexation is that the Crimea is historically Russian. But that argument is is always, historically, a slippery slope. Because uh, it also leaves him wide open to the ancient Greeks coming back to life, like the skeletons in Jason and the Argonauts, and reclaiming the Crimea as Torika, the land that Heracles once zoomed around on doing donuts on his mighty ox. And also... Even more importantly, it leaves the door wide open to the Queen coming back here to the US and claiming it as historically British, which it is, Andy. <laughs> well, it, I mean, we talk about dodgy declarations of independence, such as the Crimean one. America was founded on that, John. Founded. How can yep. it possibly lecture Russia without first withdrawing the Declaration of Independence and becoming part of the United Kingdom again? I think that was the very least that Barack Obama should be doing. This is an illegitimate nation, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> And well, I'll be seeing, I'll be seeing you moving. <laughs> be seeing you moving back home in a couple of weeks, John. <laughs> no, please no, please no. It's clear I'm not wanted there. <laughs> but whatever you say, look, Putin wanted the Crimea. It looks like he's going to get it. I guess technically he wins. But what exactly is his prize? Because he's given up a lot, and he's internationally isolated now. He's spent a huge amount of political capital on this. What exactly has he won? Because Crimea produces a tenth of the energy it consumes. Russia will reportedly have to spend five to six billion dollars on Crimea, uh, five uh, billion uh, just to uh, run the budget there, with an extra billion for Crimean pensions. And that will be an expense that only gets bigger because Crimean people do not die, Andy. Historically, they can take a huge punch. (laughs) No Crimean has ever died. They just become human raisins. That's a fact. 
I think what this whole uh, Farago shows, John, is uh, the veracity of the words of the great Roman philosopher and circus entertainer Maximus Decimus Meridius, who so memorably said, what we do in this life echoes in eternity. And there are some pretty loud echoes bouncing around the Ukraine and Crimea, uh, John. Uh, Echoes from the empires, the wars, the political shittery, the catastrophic failures, and above all, the territorial dick-swinging and horse-trading of the past, particularly... In many parts of Eastern Europe, like uh, like like uh, like the Ukraine, where sovereignty and control has often been passed around like a 1970s Dutch football, and one of the loudest <laughs> echoes is of communist Russia vomiting all over its own trousers, belching at incredible volume, and saying to itself, "Oh, I still feel like shit." <laughs> Presidential home improvements news now, and uh, South African President Jacob Zuma. Uh, has been uh, officially slammed for using state money to improve his own rural residence beyond what you might consider reasonable. He has spent 23 million US dollars improving his uh, his private home. And amongst the improvements that he has included are uh, a swimming pool, a cattle enclosure, a football pitch, and just in case, an amphitheatre. <laughs> now, we all need... A few things to pep us up and help us work a little bit more productively. Uh, and, you know, I guess if you're a president, you never fully switch off. You do a lot of your work at home. I mean, we all have these things to help us work. I mean, you, I know, John, in your new office for your new show, have a bouncy castle modelled on Alcatraz prison to make you feel more I, American. I need I need yeah. it, Andy. And I, in my I office, it. have a vid- video of you uh, on a loop, on a special screen, bouncing up and down on your inflatable Alcatraz, shouting, yes. come on, Andy, stop checking the cricket scores and write a joke about American <laughs> foreign policy. Um, you need that, Andy. <laughs> so we both have the things that we need. Some people have stress toys or micro-shrines of their favourite pagan deity. They might have pictures of their spouse and children to remind them of why they plough into work every day to do something that they hate in exchange for slightly less money than it's probably worth. Or even to remind them of why carrying on that affair with their hot colleague is on balance probably worth it. Our own British Prime Minister David Cameron has fitted 10 Downing Street with a realistic 19th century street scene full of urchin children and benevolent businessmen in waistcoats saying, don't worry young lad, it's perfectly natural to be an orphan at your age. Come and clean the chimney in one of my houses and you can help build a better Britain. He's put it in just to try and help focus everyone's minds in cabinet meetings on what they're trying to achieve. And if Jacob Zuma to get the most from his personal well of talent and inspiration, needs an amphitheatre to work to 100% productivity, so be it, John. If he needs a football pitch, a cattle enclosure, helipads, plural, new houses for multiple members of his family, and bear in mind he has an unfeasible quantity of of wives, some spare new houses just in case he gets more wives, a giant state-of-the-art chicken coop, and I don't know if the coop was giant, and state-of-the-art, all the chickens were, but probably both. They're wireless, those chickens, I've heard, in 3D as well. If he needs all that, so be it. Yes, some so-called official public report might accuse Zuma of, quotes, unconscionable and excessive misappropriation of public funds. But they would say that, wouldn't they? And maybe the yep. reason that leaders and politicians around the world throughout history have generally been so unpopular is because they didn't have a f***ing amphitheatre at their personal disposal. I don't know how crackpot pervert Roman Emperor, fits, uh, Emperor Nero fits into that equation. Probably an exception that proves the rule. But if you're President of South America, and I'm not saying you are, I'm just saying if, alright, and you're struggling with a thorny political issue like the massive continuing inequalities of post-apartheid South Africa, or the H HIV epidemic, or how to replace Graham Smith and Jack Callis in your national cricket team after the retirement of the two long-standing stalwarts of the side. You know, really big, big national issues, and you reach a bit of an impasse, and obviously, you're going to want to have the option of saying, 
Shall we lighten the mood a bit by watching some Christians fight some lions? Yeah, yeah, last one there's a loser. You have to have that possibility, John. I couldn't agree more, Andy. Being president of South Africa is not an easy job. That is a divided country. You need people to respect you. And how can you not respect a leader who has a personal amphitheatre? <laughs> It's impossible. Even if you do not like him, even if you do not support him, you look at a leader with a personal amphitheatre and you say, he's got something. He's (laughs) clearly got something. Also, all of these uh, upgrades were apparently part of a security upgrade. That That is how they signed off on the budget. And again, Andy, I've got no problem with that. First, the football pitch. Very important. You know, if insurgents ever storm that compound, no one can cross a football pitch without being tempted to have a quick <laughs> kickabout. Can't be done. That's that could true. buy vital time. So yeah. straight away, that's not a problem. OK, let's move on to the cattle enclosure <laughs> and the swimming pool. Both, again, obviously a huge deal. Very important. Now, what if any uh, of the insurgents want to just pat a cow for a bit? Again, vital time. What if they want to have a dip? Okay, for also, that is a security system against your security system. Because if the cattle escape and they're very angry with the massive waste of public money they've seen going on, Zuma needs somewhere to hide. The centre of the swimming pool would be the best place. <laughs> cattle cannot swim, Andy. <laughs> Testify. Um, well, also, I mean, you've got to think of this, again, from a military perspective. We know how uh, spy satellites are used these days. And uh, anyone wanting to launch a, a, an aerial uh, air attack, traditionally aerial, uh, historically, uh, on Zuma. It's going to be you know, scouring the satellite photos of South Africa, trying to find out where he might live. And they're going to look upon this, and they're going to think, right, he's a president of South Africa. What we're looking mm-hmm. at here has got a swimming pool, seemingly too many houses for one one president. It's got a football pit. I can't see why a president would have a football. It's got an, this is definitely this is some kind of cultural place. It's got it's got an it's got a giant chicken coop. No, no, no president has time. To look after giant chickens. No, no, this definitely is not Zuma's house. They thought yep. through it, John. It's all entirely justified. And also, if you, if you have as many wives as Jacob Zuma, then probably having an amphitheatre is just a convenient way of holding family gatherings. <laughs> exactly. I need to speak to the whole family. Everyone <laughs> gather in the amphitheatre. <laughs> <laughs> Who... And this is a key family note. Who has been f***ing with my giant chicken coop? I know it's somebody. I know it's somebody. So I need to see some hands go up. Nobody touches daddy's giant chicken coop. And who sniggered when I said that? Get out of the giant amphitheatre. Also, chickens are notoriously social animals. So, you know, he's probably testing out important political policies on chickens in a controlled environment to see if he can roll them out across the night. He's just just doing his research. Exactly. Cut, you need a giant chicken coop so you can say, will these chickens let me get away with building <laughs> a swimming pool and an amphitheatre in public money? The chick- yes, the chickens got a little bit annoyed by that, to be honest. But then I just threw a bit of seed down and they forgot about it. I think I can get away with it. Puerto Rican news now, and uh, Puerto Rico is going through some tough economic times, but they are responding with some bold action, namely by asking their own citizens to send in ideas on how to fix the economy. Uh, 
that must really breed confidence amongst the Puerto Rican people. <laughs> Basically, having your government saying, "Well, uh, bottom line, um, we're f- if we know what to do. Anyone else got any ideas?" <laughs> That's not ideal. The chief of staff of uh, the island, uh, Ingrid Villa, said Puerto Ricans could submit specific and viable proposals on a government website. She said she welcomed ideas on how to prevent uh, the exodus of skilled workers from Puerto Rico and also how to tackle uh, the large informal economy. Uh, Also, one of the problems is that official figures have their unemployment rate at 15.2%. And uh, while I'm sure... They're looking forward to their specific and viable proposals, uh, but that must be some suggestions box, Andy. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Apparently, they're currently claiming that some ideas were submitted immediately after the website was launched, uh, including proposals to build affordable housing and to attract foreign investment. But that was not all of the suggestions, was it, Andy? <laughs> Release the files. Because I'm guessing there were some other suggestions of, let's say, intricate drawings of penises <laughs> and notes saying... Here's a suggestion for how to fix the economy. Do your f***ing jobs better. And here's another intricate drawing of my penis. <laughs> well, Release I'll... the files. <laughs> they have to release some of the files because the web, the official government website where you can submit your suggestion uh, does uh, list some of the things that have been sent in. And clearly this must have been moderated because, as you say, I, I don't believe any nation, no matter whether or not it's been going through eight years of constant recession, We'll have people mature enough not to put in pictures of their penis. Um, That's right. Because it, it does appear that Puerto Ricans have been disappointingly quite grown up. There have been proposals for economic incentives for young entrepreneurs, the revitalization of urban centres, agricultural development. One suggestion just simply says flog everything to the Russians, the Chinese and anyone else with a bit of spare cash, and that is signed love from Britain. Seems to be working for us. Um, but no one has put that I saw join a space race, put a Puerto Rican on the moon to take everyone's mind off things, personalised nuclear deterrence, stilts for all teachers to give them a greater aura of authority in classrooms, and make the elderly wrestle each other and raise money through dodgy online bookmakers. This, or a compulsory national Puerto Rican trampolining session once a month to lighten the mood. I I cannot believe Puerto Ricans would not have suggested at least three of those ideas. Apparently there was an email suggestion from a Jay Zuma in South Africa as well saying, have you tried a giant chicken cook? <laughs> also, there have been calls to scrap a particular television channel, which either makes that channel very good or very bad. Uh, <laughs> often almost impossible to tell the difference between good and bad television, a philosophical phenomenon known as the 24 paradox. <laughs> NASA news now, and uh, the Puerto Rican government is not the only one looking for suggestions because NASA is currently opening a contest to see if anyone can come up with a way to spot asteroids. Uh, NASA's contest is called the Asteroid Data Hunter, uh, and it wants you to create new uh, and improved algorithms to find potentially dangerous asteroids in space that might be hurtling towards Earth. Well, I, for one, am in, Andy. I love competitions. I love asteroids. That's why every year at uh, Halloween, I enter competitions dressed up like a slutty, massive rock. Um <laughs> Now, well, that, judging from the way that you read that bit out, John, you might love asteroids and competitions, but you're not quite so hot on algorithms. <laughs> I can't stand algorithms. Luckily, I love asteroids and competitions more than I hate algorithms, just. 
Uh, NASA's even produced a video helping people who want to enter, giving them some direction. And uh, one part of the video says, Asteroids like to swing by for a visit from time to time. <laughs> the problem is when they get a little too friendly and crash into us. Wait. <laughs> that is a slightly patronising tone. This is the people who put a man on the moon, John. What has happened to this organisation? It's a little strange, that tone, Andy. They're basically talking to people like they think we're children who've been the victim of an asteroid sexual assault. (laughs) Show me on the globe where the asteroid slammed into you. Was it near your coastline? Because that's not okay. It's not your fault. Uh, they, They even try to indicate the importance of uh, this challenge, saying the dinosaurs on, John. would have killed. I, I want to pick up on NASA's use of language. Is this how they've always talked? Is this how they sold the moon maybe, landings maybe to so. Neil Armstrong? So we're going to take you to a special play place where you can bounce around with your friends. <laughs> it, maybe it is. Well, it gets even worse because they try to indicate the, the scale of the uh, problem, saying the dinosaurs would have cared if they knew about this problem. Let's be smarter than them. <laughs> to which, Andy, Set your sights high, NASA. Smarter exactly. than the dinosaurs <laughs> to which I imagine Barney the dinosaur was excitedly <laughs> sitting in front of his computer at home trying to enter the contest hearing that quote and saying hey f*** you <laughs> my whole family died oh I'm sorry we couldn't build an intricate computerised early warning system because our arms were too small and sometimes our brains are in our tails <laughs> f*** you <laughs> One thing's for sure, Andy, the reward has got to be huge. I mean, if you win, you're basically responsible for saving the entire planet, and by extension, you're responsible for the survival of our species. So, you know, I checked the reward on offer, and apparently, and this is true, NASA are putting up $35,000 in prizes. That's, total. That's a lot of money. That's total. 35, that, that's, Andy, if, if you go on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire... You can win $32,000 if you can name which one of four plays was not written by Shakespeare. And for only three grand more, you basically have to be a real-life Bruce Willis. This is bullshit. <laughs> and if any of you are struggling with that question, the odd one out was Mickey Penis and the Magic Testicles. Um <laughs> He, no, well, he never published was it anyway. A, that, that was a draw. Yeah, that was the, uh, that was the first folio <laughs> play for what became Macbeth. The testicles became witches. <laughs> well, ain't that the truth. Um, <laughs> $35,000. That, that just does not stack up for saving the world. Jesus was on at least it's that not worth it. per week, John. Per it's week. It's not worth it. He was on Silly money, Jesus. He blew most Silly of it. money. He blew most of it on donkeys. But I mean, it was very much the pre-car era. But he always liked to be seen on the very latest donkey. But you know, his money, he earned it. He could do what he likes with it. Uh, Jen Gustetic, the executive of this uh, this program, said, "Protecting the planet from the threat of asteroid impact means first knowing where those asteroids are." Well, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to work that out. Although, probably helps if you live and work with rocket scientists. Competition time now, and very exciting news here, John. There's going to be a new pound coin um, coming out uh, in 2017, billed by the Royal Mint, who make our money, as the most secure coin in the world. It's going to be a two-tone coin, bit of uh, of gold, bit of silver, 12 sides. It's going to be impossible to forge, apparently, due to modern technology, 
which will make the Queen's face wink suggestively when used to buy a packet of condoms. That is going to be the test for whether or not this coin is genuine. And a competition is being held to design the flipped, uh, the backside of this coin. That that is uh, that is true. Very exciting competition. Um, obviously, the front side will have the unbelievably majestic Her Majesty the Queen. Um, very, very majestic yep. for a five foot three inch octogenarian whose best athletic days are arguably behind her. But um, she still managed to crank out that majesticness like a peak era Roger Federer turning Leighton Hewitt into a kids' pack lunch. But anyway, uh, the Q-tip herself will be on the front. Apparently, um, yep. she's going to be quite low cut sure on this will. one, but still classy. But in a world exclusive deal with the Royal Mints, we are delighted to announce that the Bugle has been commissioned to design the reverse oh, side of that this, is so exciting. This new coin in a, a statement issued by Chief Numismatographist. I can't even say my own mate. Keep swinging, word. Andy. Keep swinging. The chief. We are in a, we're in a tin cup Kevin Costner situation here, Andy. <laughs> Take another swing. The chief numismatographist. So El- yes, he's on the green. <laughs> it's, it's very hard to know if I pronounce that right or not, given that I've just I've made that word up. Uh, the chief numismatographer, Sir Ellsworth Vines, uh, the, 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 in a statement. This is a lot of effort for a lie. <laughs> That's the only way you can make people believe them, John. Um, <clears throat> Uh, he said, The Bugle has come to epitomise everything about modern Britain. It is a global production with a global reach. It has proved remarkably resilient over many years, despite many people thinking it would simply wither and fade away. It is based in London and dominated by two white men who were educated in the southeast of England, one of whom <laughs> fled the country, sorry, left the country in search of greater opportunity overseas. It steadfastly uses only one language. It has a deeply unimpressive record for gender equality. It cannot be trusted to tell the truth. It's very immature in its dealings with foreigners, offering, often resorting to, uh, uh, to outdated stereotypes. And it's been a long time in the pocket of Rupert Murdoch. This show is the most British thing out there today. So we have commissioned it to design our new coin. Um, so, uh, so this is it, the new Britcoin. Um, some people think Britcoin is currency based on fantasy economics that will be obsolete in the not-too-distant future. But still, we're getting a new £1 coin. Do send in a written description of what you think should be on the back of the new £1 coin in not more than 100 words. And I will get my children to draw the best submissions in, <laughs> in homage to our great national heritage of exploiting it's, the world's vulnerable... You're starting a sweatshop! <laughs> I'm just saying, Don, it is homage... To our national yeah. heritage of exploiting vulnerable employment gro- groups to build our national wealth. That's what this country That's was true. built on, John. And what's, what is more fitting for the pound, Andy? <laughs> That's right. So please, no penises, no testiclottles, nothing rude, no Romeo Rodson for Juliet, please. Nothing like that. And we will graffiti the top resulting images directly onto Buckingham Palace for the Queen to peruse and adjudicate on. And the, the coin should be in production within four or five minutes. You might just want to reiterate no penises, Andy, because I'd already forgotten. <laughs> so do email what you think to be on the flip side of the new mm-hmm. £1 coin to info at thebuglepodcast.com. Your emails now, and, well, there have been two main stories that have been absolutely bombarding our inbox this week. One uh, will come to in due course. And the other is the tragically late death of the Westboro Baptist Church leader, Fred Phelps, uh, the um, massively uh, anti-gay, uh, hate-fueled um, preacher, I guess, who, who died at the age of, um, the undeserved age of 84. And I do hope 
that he has spent the time since that uh, that death meeting his maker, and that God's attended that meeting dressed head to toe in the spangliest gold lame available to him. Um, but a number of you have have uh, contacted us saying, "Will uh, Will Fred Phelps get a f- eulogy?" And um, well, John, you've uh, uh, you've re- as the founder of the f- eulogy, you have re- rejected yep. this uh, this he application. No, no, he can't have one because he wants one, Andy. Yeah. He can't have a f- eulogy if you want one. He's a snivelling little prick, that man, <laughs> and he shouldn't. You, you shouldn't give him the oxygen of even mentioning his name. He should die irrelevant. He's, he, it would have been so much better if everyone had just completely ignored his passing, like the complete waste of air that he was. Doesn't matter. He can't have a f- eulogy. He's not. Re- you don't get to be in those hallowed halls. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a very good, uh, very good te- technical, technical rejection. Um, yeah, and the other story uh, that probably hundreds, if not thousands, of you have alerted us to via various uh, mediums is of the Australian cricketer called Daniel Worrell, who has been suspended for scratching a penis and testicles into the pitch. Now, obviously, this, as many of you have suggested, is a story that. You know, we we cannot justifiably overlook as a reputable news organisation uh, as we are. The um, cricketer Daniel Worrell plays for the South Australia Redbacks and has been suspended for breaching Cricket Australia's code of behaviour, uh, which... Wait, hold on, he was punished. I presume you meant he was suspended so they could give him an award somewhere. <laughs> saying, you can't play in this game. We need you to fly you uh, to a massive award ceremony in a stadium. Well, yeah, look at historically how Australian cricketers have been behaved. I mean, it comes as a bit of a surprise to know they do have a code of behaviour and that this behaviour is in contravention uh, of that. Jamie uh, Cox, that is the man's genuine name, uh, the, the <laughs> South, <laughs> South Australian Cricket Association general manager. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I mean, that is, it's, uh, it's an unfortunate coincidence. Um, very, very fine cricketer in his time, played for Somerset as well. Um, he um, Doesn't matter. He said, Doesn't matter, Andy. <laughs> It will not be remembered. <laughs> he said, we are extremely disappointed in Daniel's actions. It is not in line with the behaviour we expect of a Redbacks player. Now this, John, is where we get to an explanation of why this happened. Why would a cricketer scratch a penis and testicles into the surface of a cricket pitch? And it comes down to this name, the Redbacks, that this team is named after. The Redback is a spider, John. It is a spider in which the male is tiny and the female is enormous. And generally, after mating... The lady redback uh, eats the male redback in a relaxing post-coital snack. Uh, the female can be 50 times the size of the male. So basically, this cricketer, John, is playing for a side that is named after a creature whose male is fatally submissive, often willingly, apparently. According to some research, the male deliberately places himself near the mouth of the female, facilitating his own demise. And the biological reason... For this two-for-one hump-and-eat-meal deal is A, to prolong intercourse, increasing the chances of fertilisation, and B, to provide a nutritional supplement for the female. So, psychologically, what must these male spiders think? It's understandable that one of the players for this team felt the need to express his masculinity by daubing a penis and testicles on a pitch. The redback spider is not only submissive to the point of death, but it is frankly lethally <laughs> perverted, turned on by the idea of being eaten by a massive woman 50 times his size. Are there not websites that cater for that kind of thing these days? Also, clearly a hopeless shag. The only way his lover can attain satisfaction is by eating him to death to stop him coming too early. <laughs> and is viewed as such a hopeless long-term parenting prospect that it's better to 
eat him now to get some nutritional value out of the bastard <laughs> rather than have him around when little spiderkins pops out to be a hopelessly meek and tiny dad. Which in, in turn is unsurprising given that this freeloading little dweeb hangs around on the edge of the lady spider's web and steals her leftovers. Not exactly a prime catch for an ambitious 21st century career spiderette. This is, John, one of the world's most unimpressive males and all this despite having two penises. So... Of course, a player for a team called the Redbacks is going to draw a penis and nut clutters on a cricket pitch whilst muttering to himself, I'm a man. I'm not a Redback. I'm a man. He's been broken, John, by the marketing men. He's an Australian, John. It's a macho culture. And this male Redback spider is one of the most pathetic examples of masculinity known to science. And I say this as someone who is a pathetic example of masculinity known to science. <laughs> I have a, um, uh, what's the word, mate? Wife? Wife, I don't know the technicalities. Who is significantly more impressive than me, intellectually, emotionally, physically. She's not 50 times as big as me, I hasten to add. But next to the red-back <laughs> spider, I come across as like a cross between Warren Beatty and a killer whale. <laughs> they might as well have called them the Adelaide Dorings or the South Australian Tinkerbells. There was nothing more inevitable in the world than a red-backs cricketer drawing male genitals on a cricket pitch. They may, it was, It's all marketing, John. 21st century morality type. Uh, that's all we have time for uh, this week. Thanks for your emails. Keep them coming into info at thebuglepodcast.com. Uh, uh, don't forget to check out our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash the hyphen bugle. And the merch and voluntary subscriptions links are on uh, thebuglepodcast.com. That is it. No, no, no further questions. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.